0: Scott Colborne with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And uh, this is our annual Halloween Ghost Story Show. It's great to have you with us. Jim Shorney's over here. Jim, how's the coffee doing? Oh, coffee's great. Thank you, Scott. And how's your week
1: been? Pretty good, actually. Um, dodging a little bit of rain, but uh, otherwise,
0: pretty nice week. And uh, we're the last Saturday here before uh, Halloween. Mm-hmm. So we're going to enjoy some ghost stories this morning. We've got some Jack Reacher coffee here on our coffee cups. And uh, I'll take just this minute to wish the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena show happy 34 years as of today. Awesome. Pretty cool. Pretty cool, yeah. I can hear the band playing, and I can hear the... uh, Yeah, we'll not go there anyhow. (laughs) Yep, it's been 34 (sighs) years, folks. Uh, We... Founded the show back in 1984. Longest and continuous running paranormal
1: show in the world, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes. Yep. And we're going to do 34 more years at least. You bet. We've got our first guest on the phone here. This is Charlene from the Capital Humane Society. And, Charlene, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you.
0: Welcome to the broadcast here. Happy 34 years for exploring unexplained phenomena. What do you think of that, kid?
2: I think that is awesome. Congratulations. What,
0: what were you doing 34 years ago?
2: Uh, it was a while ago, but I was busy going to uh the UNL. Oh. Wow. Yeah.
1: Awesome. I I would have thought you would have still been in diapers 34 years ago. <laughs> I have a like young
2: boy. <laughs> you certainly
1: <laughs> do. And you know, I I've, I've seen you on TV too. You look very young.
2: Oh, aren't you kind? Oh, that is so nice of you. <laughs>
1: So what's been going on this week? I hear you guys had a big event a couple nights ago.
2: Yes, our annual dinner was last night. It was so much fun. We had so many adorable animals there. Some of them are available for adoption, and some of them were animals that were uh, very wonderful stories of special cases that we've helped and so they came back to visit and share their story um, and it's just really inspiring and makes the work rewarding
1: Well, yeah, it's great to see you guys said getting such great news coverage on, on TV about that that was pretty cool thank you okay
0: dogs and cats for adoption who do you want to start with
2: uh, we can go with cats,
0: folks were at society society.org Follow along the bouncing ball. Here we go.
2: <laughs> We're gonna start with Asher. That's and my
0: Asher's son's name. A... That is. Oh wow.
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: perfect. Well, he is all. He's a bright and handsome cat, about three years old. He just yeah. has the sweetest little face, a little tilt to his head. Very, you know, inquisitive. Um, He is looking for a home without children. He likes things nice and calm. So if you have a calm, quiet home, ask about
1: Asher. He looks like a calm, cool cat, doesn't he? He is. Yeah. Beautiful
0: kitty. Okay, Asher is our first cat today for adoption, and he's joined by...
2: Boots. And Boots is very striking. A one-year-old neutered male, domestic medium hair, white and black cutest little expression on his face um, he gets along with the other cats in his colony so he might make a great companion for a feline you have at home and he is ready to find a great family to take excellent care of him
1: yeah look at that that kind of uh, looks like a cowl on his head it, it's bat cat
3: <laughs>
0: and whatever the photographers got there for a trick or a treat to. Uh, uh, or a toy, he is really looking intently at the photographer. great uh-huh. great picture of boots there, yeah, okay, Asher boots, and
2: next up is Gabby. she's a one year old spayed female domestic short hair, has the pretty tabby markings, a very soft and sweet face uh, looking for a home where she can Aww. purr and play and relax. So if you have a nice, warm bed for her to sleep in, she wants to talk to you.
0: Look at those beautiful
1: golden eyes. Isn't that something?
0: G-A-B-B-I, Gabby. And uh, that cat is almost blending into that uh, furniture that she's around there. It's like you just barely make her out there. So uh-huh. she's got the camouflage stuff going. Asher, Boots, and Gabby, three great cats. And here's Charlene to tell you about hours open.
2: Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530.
0: Okay, time for dogs for adoption.
2: We will start with Joey. And sometimes we have (laughs) animals available for adoption off-site, and he is off-site at Camp Bow Wow. He's a one-year-old neutered male, chocolate lab, about 58 pounds, a really happy guy, full of energy, ready to run and play and have loads of fun.
0: A uh, great-looking picture. Joey's at Camp Bow Wow, and you can take a look and read about him at org. Joey is joined by his buddy or buddies.
2: Calissa and Molly. Yeah. <laughs> and they are adorable. Calissa is 6, and Molly is 11. Uh, They're dachshund chihuahua mixes, and they're a perfect pair. So they need to find a family together. Um, They are just really sweet. They're bonded, and so they want to spend the rest of their years (laughs) with the same family. Uh, They do need a little bit of training, so they need someone with patience and time, but they're absolutely worth it.
0: Oh, great dogs. Hey, Kalissa and Molly, show us your tongues. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay, who's next?
2: next up we'll talk about Rudy and Rudy is a very smart dog she is a greyhound mix probably with lab about a year old Um, she's cute she's intelligent she's looking for someone who will provide training and plenty of exercise and proper care Uh, (laughs) so she's look looking to meet her wonderful new family today
0: and Rudy boy you got those ears going Uh (laughs) you are listening, you are inquisitive. Look at Rudy's picture. CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And uh, hours open again today and tomorrow.
2: Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530.
0: And is it true, Pet Pictures with Santa...
2: I know, it. it's coming up already. <laughs> we have a wonderful Santa. He's been a volunteer for years, and so he, he's just wonderful with the animals, always has the right pose, makes the animals comfortable, and our volunteer photographers are outstanding. So it's a great way to, to get some holiday pictures and to support the Humane Society.
0: <laughs> okay, more information at Camp, uh, excuse me, at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And... Uh, Charlene go big red have a great rest of weekend
2: thank you and again happy birthday
0: thank you so much 34 years of broadcast you know I, I wasn't quite as wise I think I've accumulated a little bit of wisdom in the 34 years that I've been at this I I didn't weigh as much and I had more hair and <laughs> it was darker and uh that was a couple of prescriptions of glasses ago, too, but 1984, we had a vision of doing a radio show um, that nobody else was doing in the world, and so we, uh, we went on air in October 1984, Ray Bochet, uh, or otherwise known as Mr. Bochy, Ray Boche was my co-host back then, and we had many enjoyable adventures. So here we are 34 years later, and uh, we appreciate so much your support out there. It's been a great 34 years. This is our annual ghost story show on the show right before Halloween. And next up is our good friend, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Hi, Rosemary. How are you?
4: Well, good morning, Scott. It's a little rainy here in Salem today.
0: I heard about that. Now, what, what is a nor'easter?
4: Uh, a nor'easter is um, a big rainstorm, and if it's cold enough, it gets into a snowstorm that moves up the east coast and it, it's called a nor'easter because of the dir- the direction that the wind blows. And it usually brings a lot of wind and rain and've um, we've, uh, we've got light rain this morning, but it's supposed to get a lot heavier. and I've heard that um, if anybody's trying to fly into the area today, good
0: luck. Oh geez, <laughs> Wow. And it probably gets fueled a lot by the uh, the ocean and the and the uh, the water and the air, doesn't it? Wow.
4: It does, and they can hit during the summer too. Um, in fact, year round, and you know, as I said, if it's cold enough, the nor'easter becomes a snowstorm. Mm-hmm.
0: So you were you were in Salem yesterday, and how did things go there?
4: Very well. We come up every year uh, around the Halloween time. We arrived on Wednesday, and I had. Um, the black mirror event we did that on thursday night okay. scrying for the dead a gorgeous seance room that we work in and last night was the witch's ball which is always a lot of fun and tonight uh, Lori cabot has her ball and the hawthorne hotel has its ball so uh lots going on and there are a lot of people in town um they're out in spite of the rain um but um i, I imagine if the gets real heavy it might dampen things a bit tonight uh, just the street fair aspects of it
0: mm-hmm. uh, welcome to the ghost stories in the morning show and rosemary start us off with a ghost story
4: well what i'd like to tell is um, it's kind of a ghost story but it's also a manifestation story and i, I know you've got the animals and pets segment and Ooh. i thought this would be so appropriate to follow on with that Because it involves a dog, a dog that passed on.
0: Okay. And
4: we had this experience in August, Joe and I, when we were uh, at the Michigan Paracon, and we were conducting a Black Mirror workshop. And it's... um, It doesn't happen every time, but it's not unusual to get manifestations in the room. Afterwards, we always ask people to share their experiences and um, what happened for them. It can be very emotional for many people. And uh, we had people sitting at round tables, by the way, round round kind of banquet-style tables. And uh, we had a lot of phenomena. But at this uh, one table, there was a woman who was very emotional. She had had visions in the mirror of uh, beautiful parks and places, and she was reunited with her two beloved dogs that had passed on, and she was watching them run, and it was such a a happy feeling. She reconnected with a lot of the emotions from uh, her relationship with them while they were on this side. Uh, Well, that was quite moving, because usually people, uh, we do have people who want to contact their pets, um, but... Most of the time, it's, uh, it's human friends and family that people are seeking to connect with. But what made this so interesting was that the woman next to her uh, had had an experience during the mirror-gazing session. She said that while she was looking in her mirror, she saw a little dog in the room, and it darted under the chair of this woman next to her, and it disappeared. And, of course, she knew there was no dog in, in the room. But um, people will often question themselves and think, oh, it's the dim light. I must have been seeing things. I imagined it. Um, but animals were not on her agenda uh, for, for that night. So she was puzzled by it until the woman next to her started talking about reconnecting with her dogs and describing them. And so we had a manifestation of uh, one of uh, this woman's. Uh, pet dogs mm. in the room had come to, to visit and manifested.
0: Isn't that fun? You know, I ask people uh, it, it, how they've experienced uh, ghosts or spirits and I always try to ask about their pets because so many people have had pets return.
4: Yes, and I have published some of those stories um, in, in my book, Dream Messages from the Afterlife. I talk about a uh, pet's And when pets come back, uh, sometimes it's in a ghostly way. Uh, Sometimes it's more an invisible presence, but one that's felt and heard. Uh, They'll hear, like if it's a dog, uh, they might hear the dog's paws clicking on tile or hardwood floor. Uh, They might uh, feel the presence of a pet uh, jump up on the furniture like they used to do, like to cuddle up on the sofa or get on the bed. Uh, and they might even have a tangible feel uh, of an animal's fur. Uh, they've heard sounds. Uh, we've had pet birds uh, manifest with their chirping, um, and of course, dog and mm. cat sounds as well. And that reminds me of a ghost story uh, that is in *The Road to Strange: Travel Tales of the Paranormal*. Oh, I'd love Michael to Brian hear it if ideas. you got time
0: to tell it. I'd love to hear it.
4: I do, yes, and it, it took place in Salt Lake City, and it involved a script writer for that hit show, um, Touched by an Angel, sure, which yeah. I absolutely loved. Yeah. I watched every episode, and uh, she said that uh, a lot of the shooting was done in Salt Lake City, and the production company, or the network, rather... Uh, rented a, an apartment for the staff to stay in, the scriptwriters. And so she made regular trips to Salt Lake City, and she would stay overnight in this apartment. And she said that the strangest thing started happening. She would go to bed in the master bedroom, which was down a hallway. And along uh, uh, at some point, it, before she went to sleep, but uh, late at night, she said, you know, it was usually after midnight or so she could hear what sounded like a large dog padding down the hallway, and she could hear a jingle to the collar like dog tags.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And she never saw anything physically, but she had the impression of um, a rather large dog that was kind of silvery in color and um, was probably female, and uh, it would stop at the door of the master bedroom. Well, the more she stayed there, this phantom dog... uh, got closer and closer instead of stopping at the bedroom door it started coming into the bedroom she could hear it come in and then it felt like it put its paws up on the bed like it wanted attention or it wanted to come up on the bed she never felt frightened but it was just curious because it was kind of a progressive haunting well she didn't say anything uh to any of the other script writers you know people think they're they're worried about being looked at as crazy And uh, one day back in L.A., she was having um, a meal with one of the other scriptwriters, a young man, and uh, she just mentioned that there were weird things that happened in that Salt Lake City apartment. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, you had the dog, too. And uh, he described the very same thing that she had experienced. Mm -hmm. Now, whether the other people who stayed there uh, also did, we don't know, because they decided not to talk about it. But... Uh, the young man was, uh, had grown up uh, with uh, a lot of hauntings in his home and location. And he was very comfortable with that sort of thing. So uh, Michael and I speculated that um, these two individuals, the woman and the man, uh, their psychic senses were just tuned to this. It's the residual haunting. Now, the apartment building was about five years old. It was a con- converted from an office building to apartment and uh, we speculated that the previous owner may have had a dog, that maybe even the dog died while the owner was there. But this residual haunting happened uh, night after night, and it was probably the habit of the dog to come down the hall after its owner retired and uh, maybe even come up on the bed or at least... Um, put its paws up Mm -hmm. on the bed uh, for attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And a beautiful kind of warm, fuzzy story.
0: Mm -hmm. Mark tells a story about uh, his grandfather who lived in northeast Lincoln, and uh, he was a rock hound. So uh, Mark loved going over to Grandpa's house and going down in the basement where the workshop was, where all the rocks and the equipment were and things. And his grandpa had a, a dog that would make a trek from the front door crossing the kitchen floor to the back door, kind of waiting for them to come up from downstairs. And then getting tired of that, the dog would walk back through the kitchen, back to the front door, hang out for a while. Well, every time the dog passed over the kitchen floor, downstairs they could hear his nails clicking on the linoleum on the Mm -hmm. tile. Sure. So in the mid-70s, the dog passed away. And on numerous occasions, Mark said that he would be overseeing his grandfather. And suddenly they would both just stop whatever they were doing in the basement and listen and they could hear that dog again wow. walking across the kitchen floor. Hmm. The nails clicking.
1: Interestingly enough, I have a, a dog story too. I can I can tell it now or we can wait till the next segment.
4: Oh, I'd love to hear it if we have time.
1: Okay, well, th- this is from a friend of mine named Steve and uh, I have, Steve has been a friend, a long time friend and uh, considered him to be a reliable, honest person. Uh, Steve had a beautiful Irish wolfhound for many years that was his pretty much constant companion. Her name was Mimi. And I'm not a dog person, but everybody loved Mimi. She was just cool, a a gentle, giant, uh, wonderful, wonderful dog. Uh, Well, in the fullness of time, Mimi passed away, and uh, Steve buried her in a spot. On the on the ground he has a shop building out in the country and uh, he buried her in a place of honor out there and some months later acquired a St. Bernard puppy well they're out at the shop building one evening and uh, Steve comes outside and sees the St. Bernard playing with another dog and he looks and it's an Irish wolfhound so he starts to walk over there, and, as he approaches, he sees that the Irish wolfhound has the exact same collar that Mimi was wearing when she passed away. Mm-hmm. And he thought, "Wow, that's what a coincidence." so as he then, as he tried yeah. to try wow. to yeah, as he tried to approach closer, and these are his words, the wolfhound turned and faded away. Mm. Isn't that something? Yes.
0: Yep. Uh, one of the themes, uh, Rosemary and Jim, uh, maybe you could comment on this too, is that I've, uh, I've come to believe that love knows no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's the love we have true. for each of us and in, in return what our friends and relatives have for us as well as our pets. Love doesn't really know the the boundary of, uh, of death.
4: And for so many people, um, their relationships with their pets are as strong as uh, with people, and sometimes even more so, Certainly. If they, especially if they've had problematic uh, relationships with family and friends. The, the unconditional love of a pet is... Such a an incredible bond.
0: Yeah, I think Will Will Rogers said that, you know, if dogs don't go to heaven, wherever dogs go, that's where I want to go.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, fur, fur, I had two dogs. I've had uh, actually a number of pets over the course of my life, mm-hmm. but I was very close to two dogs in particular, and uh, I believe that I will see them in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. I believe that uh, they go to... Uh,
0: the same afterlife that uh, humans do. Rosemary, it's so great to talk with you. Um, Thank you so much for all that you've done for our radio show, for being our friend and colleague and for what you've brought, your level of uh, intelligence and expertise. And so as I celebrate 34 years of broadcast, I also want to thank you very much for what you've done.
4: Well, you're very welcome, Scott, and it's such a pleasure to be on this show, Uh, and you've got such a fabulous audience, and I have appreciated you and everyone on the staff as well.
0: What are you and Joe doing now for the rest of the day in Salem? What are you guys going to be up to?
4: Well, we're going to the Hawthorne Ball tonight, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're getting together with uh, our good friend Dave Spinks, who's up from West Virginia. He's a ghost-encrypted hunter, and he's doing some uh, ghost research while uh, he's in Salem. He just got in town last night. We'll be seeing him. And on Sunday, we have two events. Uh, We are attending an event called the Morning Tea, which is uh, done Victorian style. It's to honor the dead. Uh, The Victorians didn't have a ritual like that but um, it's a ritual that's given victorian trappings and we've always wanted to do it and then we are part of the crew for the dumb supper in the evening uh, which is a a dinner meal done in silence uh, to honor the dead and then monday we head home
0: thanks so much rosemary it's great to touch base with you and have a great rest of weekend
4: thank you you too scott bye now
0: Rosemary Lynn Guiley, she, uh, as we've labeled her, I think correctly and, and justifiably so, she is the queen of the paranormal. Visionaryliving.com is Rosemary's website, and uh, she is incredibly busy. She's also got a up-and-running, full-bore publishing company and doing a great job, visionarylivingpublishing.com. We're going to take the bottom-of-the-hour break and back with uh, Tanya and Joey Medea, our guests for the next segment of Ghost Stories in the Morning. How you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Okay. Those were some great stories. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yes. More coming up here, folks. Stay tuned. It's great to have you here.
1: Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD.
5: Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402 436 2384 my name is manny morales i'm 45 and i coach youth football it's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress but big brothers big sisters give me a real role model and the young me
4: neither a role model bad my bigger brother's name is ray and ray is the reason that
5: this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself
1: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. This program is
3: made possible
0: in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
5: And from NET, Nebraska's PBS and NPR stations, hosting the national radio broadcast of the Music and Variety Show, live from here with Chris Thiele, featuring special guests... Wilco frontman Jeff Tweedy and comedian Todd Berry at the Lead Center in Lincoln on Saturday, October 27th. Ticket information at leadcenter.org or 402-472-4747.
1: The full moon
6: lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
0: Unexplained phenomena. It's great to be with you on this ghost stories morning. You see it from the band Enigma. We feature their music, and they're heard all over Southeast Nebraska. My buddy Jim's getting our next guests connected here, so I'm going to follow up with what Rosemary and Jim talked about. And uh, here's another ghost story that involved my late cat, Sinonda. We had adopted these two cats, Jasmine and Sananda, sisters from the Capital Humane Society, and had these cats for many years, and they were, they were a joy. Sananda was the first to pass, and she and I had a morning ritual where she would sit outside the second floor bathroom, and I was shaving and, and washing my face and getting ready to, to leave the house, she'd sit out there on the landing, about maybe six to eight feet outside the bathroom door, and just sort of watch me. And so sometime during that, that whole interplay, I would pretend like I would freeze and then start to slowly crouch down and pivot towards her like I was gonna spring at her. And she would arch her back and get all puffy, and she would go, meow. And so I would go out and grab her and pet her, and, and it was kind of our, our morning ritual. So several months after uh, she had passed, I'm upstairs, and I've got, uh, you know, the morning being planned, thinking about what I'm going to be doing and shaving and washing my face. And all of a sudden, I hear from the hallway, right out where Sananda used to sit, her unmistakable Meow. So I put my bathrobe on, and rationally, logically, I said, I've got to rule out that this could have been Jasmine, even though Sananda's distinctive meow was, was her own. In the bottom of my heart, I knew it was Sananda. So I went looking through the house. I went downstairs, and I found Jasmine at the other end of the house, asleep in her kitty bed. And so I knew that who I just heard upstairs outside that bathroom was Sananda, coming back one more time to play that game and to, uh, to say hello. I'm Scott Colborn, and this is Ghost Stories in the Morning, Hey, we've got some great things going on for you here. Let's bring on some more folks to tell some ghost stories. And we've got, I think, if we've connected everybody, we've got Tanya Medea and Joey Medea. Are you there?
2: Hey, Scott, how are you?
0: And are you guys now in the same location? Are you waving at each other? Are you making faces?
7: No, we're on two different floors. We had a practice yesterday with that. It's a little weird.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's sure great to have you both here. This is our annual Ghost Stories in the Morning show. And, uh, Joey, I so much enjoyed talking with you here recently. The show we did for the book that you and Tanya have co-authored, Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. You know, I thought maybe these folks would like to come back and tell some more ghost stories. So... Are you ready?
7: We are.
2: We are.
0: Okay, uh, Tanya, we haven't had a chance to to talk with you. Do you want to go first? Do you have a story you can share with us?
2: Sure. So, um, you know, when Joey was on your show, he had the opportunity to talk a little bit about the experiences we had in the web library and the experiences we've had basically throughout our married life together Um, And for me, through most of my life. So I think I will share with you some of our latest um, experiences, which include some ghost stories that we're currently experiencing in a house that we recently moved into here in Northeastern Ohio. So um, I guess where I'll start is when I first came to look at the house uh, back in May... I was seeing ghosts because I am a psychic medium and I do see spirits. I was seeing ghosts in the house already, so that didn't bother me at all. It wasn't anything unusual for me. Um, But I didn't expect the level of activity, I guess, to kind of go in the direction that it's gone in since we've moved in. Uh, So when I first looked at the house, I saw a little boy in one of the upstairs closets and made some contact with him. I saw an um, older gentleman, probably in his like late 50s, early 60s, down in the basement. And Larry really didn't say much about him to our daughter, who was also a psychic medium. So when we moved in, she immediately um, shared with me that she was seeing that gentleman as well. Not so much the little boy that I've seen, but, but the gentleman whose name um, I have um, found out is Frank. And that's just because whenever I see him, that's the name that pops into my head. Mm-hmm. So Frank has been really interesting. Um, it seems that he's not really thrilled about the fact that Joey has taken over one of the rooms and converted it into his office. And uh, it seems like Frank was really attached to that space. So we've had everything happening there from we just hear noises at night uh, things being moved around, Joey and I will go down in the middle of the night to investigate. Of course, there's nothing down there. Um, Joey will get up in the morning, and he'll find that things have been moved, um, things that he knows exactly where. If, if Joey's very meticulous. If you know him at all, you know he's very meticulous about his things. So he knows where he things and he'll go down in the morning and something's in a completely different spot. Um, we hear frequently in the middle of the night, it's what sounds like somebody making a racket on our front porch and so we'll go down and investigate and of course there's no one there. Um and so for me, you know, it's, it's when I go investigate places and I see these things, you know, I'm used to it. it, doesn't really bother me that much. But when you're living with this on a daily basis it gets over <laughs> sometimes it even freaks me out a little bit. I think one of the creepiest things was recently Joey and I were getting ready for bed. We were sitting in bed talking before we um, were going to turn the lights out and go to sleep. And because we're in a really old house, we've got wooden floors that creak like any old house. And there are some floorboards right outside our door that the sound is unmistakable whenever anybody standing there, you know that those are the boards that are speaking. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting up in bed talking, and uh, we heard what sounded like someone just standing outside our bedroom door. Sort of, I don't know, it sounded like they were kind of shifting their weight back and forth, and the boards would, like, creak, and creak. and creak mm-hmm. And I was like, what is, who's out there? Uh, and, of course, you know, open the door and nobody's out there. So... Uh, that one was kind of kind of creepy for me. And then the last thing I'll share is a dream that I had recently involving this gentleman by the name of Frank in which um, I was standing in the kitchen and I looked through one of the windows to the back porch um, and I saw him standing there. And it was just this eerie, really creepy kind of smile. He just stood there smiling with this gift sort of bone-chilling grin on its face, and I woke up, actually, Joey shook me to wake me up because I was yelling in my sleep, I see you, I see you, so um, <laughs> wow. that was just pretty creepy for me, so those are some of our more recent ghost stories, but I, I could go on and on and on, but I'll let Joey uh, share some as well.
0: Tanya, uh, <clears throat> do, you, uh, do you have any recommendations also, and you can respond now or or later if you want to, people in the audience that have also either had dreams that they seem to connect with somebody who may have been in the house as a resident uh, or they're experiencing actually a a presence of sorts. Do you have a recommendation for them? Yes. So, um, you know, I
2: always see spirit people as just people without bodies. And so I... tend to interact with them the same way that I do anyone else. And that's just to establish healthy boundaries. So, you know, we've gotten to the point with Frank where we'll say, Hey, you know, knock it off. (laughs) If you're not going to get along nice, you're going to have to leave that sort of thing. So I always offer up to people that you want to establish good, healthy boundaries Be firmly, um, but, but politely, you know, ask them if you don't want to be bothered, please, you know, Leave the space. Um, A friend of mine, who is a well known psychic medium as well, offered up a wonderful visualization in which you can imagine a white column of light coming down through the center of your home. And then you ask all the spirit people who would like to step into that light to step in so that they can cross over and move on. And then, of course, I really do believe in just protecting yourself and surrounding yourself with white light. If you're, if you're, Afraid of something.
0: Mm-hmm. joy is there a possibility that you and Tanya, as you go out and do your investigations, do you ever feel like you bring some sort of a hitchhiker back home?
7: Sometimes um, we do, and we try to take precautions to prevent that, like Tanya said, surrounding ourselves with white light. But it's a, and we talk about it in the book, it's a fine line that you walk. You need to have all your receptor ses- uh, systems open in order to receive and communicate and all of that but you do also want to protect yourself so there have been times that we've done that if we um you know you're a little tired and fatigued so that white light isn't quite strong enough or or maybe you haven't you know said your protection prayers are the different things you do or it's an entity that is just really tenacious like this this Frank, and it's very ironic because I'm per- very protective of my things. I'm very protective of my space. I take great care of my things. I'm super organized because I have so many different projects going. I have all these things, and I have collectibles that I cherish. It's really kind of ironic. I think Frank, in his case, came with the house, but but there have been times, like when we investigated the web, there were entities that were attached to the web that would suddenly be in our home, causing some havoc
0: that's the library that you mentioned in in your most recent book watch out for the hallway yes sir go ahead
7: oh no i think that that's that's what i had as far as 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 that went so it's, it's really a matter of um protecting yourself and then dealing with them now tanya was talking about negotiating so Mm-hmm. A ghost that comes with the house, and and I mentioned to you uh, last time towards the end of the show, last time we were on, uh, we're working on a book now called um, Roommates from Beyond, uh, A Guide to Living in a Haunted Home. Because this keeps coming up. Tanya just had a client last night who was really having a haunting mm-hmm. in their home. So when mm-hmm. you bring home a non-resident spirit who, who doesn't belong there and is wreaking havoc, and you, you need to be a little bit stronger in, in your procedures for for getting rid of that spirit but but ones that come with the home and we think that Frank we're right in the midst of doing our uh, deed research and our historical research about our home about the property and all that's a little bit of a chore here just the way the systems are set up in our county and our state but um mm-hmm. we're pretty sure that Frank is the fellow who built the home so that makes it really
0: um interesting mm-hmm We've got a uh, house in Lincoln that I'm aware of that a um, well-known photographer lives in. And um, he comes in at the noon hour to walk down a hallway to wash his hands in the bathroom and then to prepare and, and eat lunch. And uh, so he'll walk down that hallway, and oft times, something in the mirror that is in the hallway reflecting part of the living room will catch his eye. And he'll look and he'll see an older woman seated in a chair by his fireplace. One more step, and then he turns and looks into the living room, and she's not there. And this has happened multiple times. Uh, And always interested in photography, he was able to connect with the original people that built that house. And going through some photo albums of theirs, he finally saw the picture of the elderly woman, a lot younger way back then, almost the turn of the century, that had overseen the building and construction of the house and had lived there for many years until her passing. And he realized that that was the woman that he was seen from time to time in that chair by his fireplace, that she had built the house, she'd loved it and spent many years there, and apparently she comes back from time to time just to sit in the living room and enjoy it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's when you wonderful. find that picture,
7: Tanya, do you want to? Um, Scott, I heard you right before we came on. You were telling the story about, I believe, as a cat, right? Your yes. cat in the hallway. Yes. So I think hallway is kind of is going to be our theme today. Tanya, do you want to? <laughs> I heard two things there: hallway and Mira. Do you want to? You want to like talk about that?
2: Sure. So. um, you know, it's it's widely believed that, that mirrors act in some way as portals, and particularly when you have two reflective surfaces like that facing each other. So in, in our book, Watch Out for the Hallway, we talk about how in the web library um, that we're writing about, there are these two windows facing each other on either end of this hallway, and that particular hallway in, in the web library was... Absolutely a portal because we would refer to it as like Grand Central Station for oh those. And so, as a medium, when I was in that hallway, I would see, to me, it always reminded me of that scene from the movie Poltergeist when all the spirits are kind of walking down the staircase. I don't know if you remember that scene from the movie, but that's what it looked like in that hallway just people, just, you know, all kinds of people walking through there. Um, so I really feel like there's there's something about the energy of a hallway, mm-hmm. but particularly when you have mirrors in a hallway mm-hmm. that kind of contributes to that portal um, phenomenon.
0: Tony, I'm, I'm curious, when you saw uh, all these people in that hallway, it was just teeming with people. Um, do you think they were individually aware of each other?
2: That's a great question. I didn't really get the sense that they were, all of them, anyway. I think that perhaps some of them were, but they all seemed to be, you know, it, it was almost identical to the way that, it, that that scene plays out in the movie where, yeah, they're all just kind of on their own, you know, path. there in their own little dimension or reality where they're just not aware of the mm-hmm. other things around them.
0: Uh, Joy, I- are we talking, when Tanya talks about uh, these people in the hallway that she picks up on, are we talking about ghosts or spirits or both?
7: Wow. Okay, so Tanya, I'm going to pass it back to her, and then i will come right back to me. Tanya, you are more articulate about the difference between a spirit and a ghost.
2: Right. So um, a ghost is, uh, I feel, an, an intelligence, a consciousness that for whatever reason has remained attached to something here on this plane, whether it be a location like Frank, uh, with our house, for example, oftentimes, uh, perhaps they're attached to just, you know, their, their personality, who they were when they were living. And they're just not ready to let go of that. Um, sometimes it could be another person or what have you. And so ghosts, in in my experience are, um, conscious beings that have not yet moved on into the spirit realm into that you know place beyond the veil that we go when we so when we cross over um, spirits on the other hand have crossed over so they're residing in this spirit realm doing the spirit work that we do once we cross over but they do have the ability to come back and visit us so a lot of people have had the experience where they've had a loved one who's passed and yet they feel like they've had some kind of visitation from that person, whether it be in the dream state or, you know, some people have even seen that person, that loved one, mm-hmm. right in front of their eyes only to see them vanish again.
7: Um, um, it was both. It, w- it was really both, Scott. And there was one night in the, in the South Hallway. So the South Hallway had a different personality than the North hallway. The South hallway was where we think the spirits and ghosts came in and the energy got darker and more disturbed and more dangerous the further you went down that hallway, which was interesting. But one night in that South hallway, we experienced essentially three dimensions at least going on at the same time. So it was us and about seven or eight living, breathing people. There was a group of spirits who seemed to be doing their own thing. They weren't aware that we were there, and they weren't aware that in the third dimension, there was a ghost who was being active and communicative with us. So that was in this tiny little space. We had that going on. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's, that's something that we're going to be examining and, and, and drilling down on from a lot of different angles for a long time.
0: This is uh, Tanya and Joy Medea. And am I, am I doing justice to pronouncing your last name? Is it Medea? It's perfect. Perfect. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah. They've got a brand new book out. We've had them on the show recently. It's called Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. So guys and gals listening, imagine if you had a laboratory, if you will, that you could go to every day... Uh, that you could research and document the spirits and ghosts, the paranormal phenomena taking place there, and it was almost guaranteed that you would show up and things would happen. That's the nature of this library that Tanya and Joy have written about. And reading the book was just fascinating at the different levels of engagement that people were experiencing, not only you, but Tanya and Joy, what was the, the last count you've had? How many people in there with you?
7: The exact
0: number was, I
7: believe, 583. Um, let me look here. Wow. No, no, I'm sorry. See, that's why you keep good notes. It was 483, so almost 500 people. But that's a little skewed because we, we had thousands of high school and middle school students come mm-hmm. in for a separate program than our investigation where things happened. So it was, but but let's say somewhere around five or 600 people experienced these things over the course of two years.
0: So, um, ladies and gentlemen, Dad always used to say, well, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it would be a totally different thing if they had one solitary report from this library. And as you start getting into the multiple reports, the dozens, and finally the hundreds, you have to say to yourself, something is really going on there. And we'll take the top of the hour break. We'll be back with Joey and Tanya Medea, and we'll talk further about this library and about some of their their life pursuits and their adventures. And Tanya and Joey, again, on this Halloween weekend, I want to thank you so much for being with us. And we're going to be right Thank back you. with more stories, okay? Okay, Tony and Joy Medea, the authors of Watch Out for the Hallway. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty, Our special Ghost Stories in the Morning show. Happy Halloween. What a spooktacular show we've got for you today. And happy 34 years to exploring unexplained phenomena. It's our birthday today, and so we're celebrating in all ways possible. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more ghost stories after this.
1: Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD.
7: Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated butheris Mason & Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at
5: 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And NET, Nebraska's PBS and NPR stations, hosting the national radio broadcast of the Music and Variety Show, live from here with Chris Thiele, featuring special guests, Wilco frontman Jeff Tweedy and comedian Todd Berry at the Lead Center in Lincoln on Saturday, October 27th. Ticket information at leadcenter.org or 402-472-4747. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me
4: neither a role model, bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
1: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
6: Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until one thirty, right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Colborne with more Ghost Stories in the Morning with my friend Jim Shorty and you guys and gals out there listening live all over the world. It's great to have you with us, and... Of course, a special hello to the folks that are listing on the archive program. We'll have this recorded and up free of charge for listing in just about a week. During this segment of the program, we've got our special guests, Tanya and Joey Medea. They're the authors of "Watch Out for the Hallway," our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. Uh, Tanya and Joy, can I piggyback on the idea of those those two windows and tell you a short story? Yes. Absolutely. In the former KZUM broadcast facility, we were at the top of the terminal building. And that building was called the terminal building because back in the early infancy of Lincoln, Nebraska, we had at that time a streetcar system. And the streetcars would start and then finally returned to the terminal building. And this was an early professional building where doctors and uh, uh, medical people and to some degree some of the uh, law profession had their offices. So a change of use over the years, and there have been a number of tenants in there, but KZUM had the, the 10th floor, and we were in an old broadcast studio of a former radio station Uh, KFMQ that was a a rock station. And so we're up there in the studio and our broadcast studio that I sat at, uh, Tanya and Joy, for many years, if I was facing the uh, air studio board, I could literally lean back in my chair and touch the north wall and the north window that had a fantastic view looking north from the 10th floor. And if I look straight up from the air studio board, I was looking at the window into the production room. So we've got the window in back. We've got the window in front of that board. One night, Barry Peterson is up there late night doing a show. And the building had a key code entry system so that... Um, After hours, you had to have a special key card to enter. You could take the elevator up to the 10th floor. Then you had to know the security code on the lock on the door to enter the studio. So not just anybody could walk in the building. Not just anybody, if they got to the 10th floor, could get into the studio. So Barry's there, and he's uh, at the, uh, the air studio board playing music. And he looks up, and in the production room window... Is reflected both his image and a man standing right behind him awesome. he whirls around and looks there's nobody there, and he looks back at that production room window, and there's nobody again in that window, just just his image wow. comments sir
7: yeah, well, it's striking um. You have a lot of the a lot of the parameters there that were the same for the web library. Mm-hmm. So it was a multi-use building. Um, there were doctors' offices in it, and and as we all know, going to the doctor is rarely fun. I mean, sometimes you go and you're getting good news, especially you know you're hoping to be pregnant or something. It's about the only thing that I can think of. Um, but generally, a trip to the doctor can can be very difficult. And and years and years and years ago, so much more so where you would get bad news and then um <clears throat> the radio equipment so there was a uh, radio tower directly across from the web so you have all of those frequencies and we know that mm-hmm. spirits get used by those can communicate through them like how the spirit box works with with simple am fm frequencies and um and you have the two you have the two mirrors and uh, was it by a body of water by any chance scott
0: No, it's in downtown Lincoln, um, uh, and looking north, about three blocks north uh, was the uh, Nebraska Memorial Stadium where the big football games were played, and on some mornings up there from 10 o'clock a.m. to 12 noon central, if they had a morning football game, when there was a touchdown, you would actually be able to feel the concussion of 90,000 people yelling and stomping their feet from three blocks away coming through the windows and walls of that, of that studio. It was just remarkable. Yeah.
7: So that's a lot of energy and that's a lot of memory. Um, Yes. Not too far away. So yeah, I just find that, I find that so striking.
0: Folks, this is ghost stories in the morning and our special guests are Tanya and Joy Medea, the authors of a brand new book. And we were able to talk with Joy about that. Watch out for the hallway our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. You'll find Tanya and Joey both on Facebook. The last name is spelled M-A-D-I-A. And uh, let's see, we've got uh, newmystics.com. And Tanya, do you also have a, a website for your work? Um, I
2: actually don't have a website. I have a professional, both a professional and a, a uh personal Facebook page. So okay. my uh, professional Facebook page is just Tanya Medea, R Y T R M T RMT, and LMT. Those are just um, mm-hmm. certifications
0: and mm-hmm. licenses that I hold. Okay. Do you want to tell us another story?
2: Sure. So I couldn't help but think when you were um, talking about how um, the uh, image appeared in the window and then he turned around and and there was nothing there was very similar to an experience I had in yet another haunted house that Joey and I lived in um, years ago. So this was uh, 2004. We were living in uh, an older home, in New Jersey. And from the moment we moved into that house, uh, there was just all kinds of crazy things that happened. We would hear footsteps in the third or I'm sorry, the second floor when nobody was up there. Our kids were having experiences. We would hear voices, you know, all the traditional haunting phenomenon. But one thing that that happened in that house that really is not at all in line with what you think of as a traditional haunting was an experience that I had when I was looking in the mirror, I was applying makeup one afternoon and I had this um, full length mirror in our bedroom, which actually our bedroom was in a finished basement. So uh, I was down in the basement of the house, putting my makeup on, looking in this mirror. When over my right shoulder reflected in the mirror, I saw this being that um, I still have no explanation for, but it was essentially uh, a human body with a uniform, with epaulets on the uniform. I, I specifically remember the epaulets, but the head of this creature was like a hog. So I see this image wow. and I spin around. Yeah, I, I, to this day, it was like I spun around and of course there was nothing there. So I, it was so weird and bizarre that I just dismissed it. I was like, I don't know what kind of halluc- hallucination that was but I couldn't even process it. So I didn't say anything to anyone about it. And the uh, following day, or it was a couple of days later at least, uh, Joey had come home, and I was in the kitchen making dinner, and he headed downstairs to our bedroom. Um, He was just going to put his things away and come back up. And about halfway down the stairs, I hear him yelling in fear, and he scrambles back up the stairs and describes seeing exactly what I had seen a couple days before. So we never figured out what that was, um, you know, some kind of interdimensional being that managed to um, make its way into our reality and then pop back out or something. We're not mm-hmm. quite sure. But, yeah, mirrors um, tend to be the source of some really strange activity.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been telling stories to folks, uh, stories I've collected since 1974, uh, and in so many cases there is something going on behind a person. They're either alerted to that by a sense, by a touch, by looking in a reflected surface and seeing somebody, and uh, there is a, a, a famous bowling alley in Lincoln, where um, one day a a woman to jump around this long line at the women's restroom, she remembered that in the basement there was a women's locker room because they host professional bowling stuff from time to time, and they've got a a great facility. So she went downstairs, uh, nobody was there, and used the restroom, and she was washing her hands uh, at the sink and looked up in the mirror And there, about 10 to 15 feet behind her, a man was standing in the doorway watching her. She whirled around. He wasn't there. She looked back in the mirror, and his image was gone. So she went upstairs and told the manager that somebody had just walked in on her, a peeping Tom, and the manager played back about four hours of security footage, and besides her, didn't see anybody else in the basement of that bowling alley. Wow. So I tell that story, and then somebody comes forward and says, Scott, that happened to me. The same thing. I was down in that women's locker room, washing my hands. I looked up. There was somebody behind me, and I whirled around, they were, they were not there, and I looked back in the mirror, and they were gone. So now I've collected two reports from that downstairs woman's locker room, and we wonder how many others it's happened to. Well, right. to, to tie up this part of the story here, because I want to hear more from you guys. I ran into an old friend about a week ago, and I told him this story about this famous bowling alley and what was going on there. And he said, this is incredible. It was my company that installed the security cameras in that bowling alley. And for the first six to nine months, we were getting callback after callback of them seeing strange things on the security cameras. Um, White mists or blobs, dark shapes moving very quickly, um, phenomena that people might call orbs or glowing luminous spheres moving about and uh, they couldn't figure out from the technical side what was causing this stuff
7: whoa oh
0: man wow i got you i'd like to
2: go
0: to, to that killed. bowling alley <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, no kidding i've asked people hey if we got a free day tomorrow or the next day let's go bowling what do you say <laughs> So, Tanya and and Joey, I want to ask you uh, if somebody under God's mysterious grand plan has to become a ghost for a while, why wouldn't they go any place that they enjoyed when they were living as opposed to somehow narrowly being confined to a cemetery? Because so many of the ghost shows. They set up all the equipment in the cemetery, and it's got to be dark, and they're going to try to capture a ghost or a, a presence. But why wouldn't ghosts go any place that they enjoyed when they were living?
7: That, that is a terrific question. So let's go with hard data from our personal experience. Mm-hmm. So Tanya talks a lot about Dr. Thompson. Um, this ties in with the woman that was seen in the mirror who owns the property. So where the Webb Memorial Library is, it was built on two plots of land. One plot of land was the old family home of the man who, who built it, that it was named after, Earl Webb. The other was owned by a doctor, Dr. Uh, Sanford Thompson. and He had a doctor's office down in the bottom. Dr. Thompson still resides in the Webb. He is a ghost. Um, He's never crossed over. He dispenses advice. There are pages and pages in the book of predictions that he made, of things that he knew, advice that he gave to people, um, unsolicited. So about an hour ago, you had Rosemary Ellen Kiley on the show, I Mm -hmm. believe. And Mm -hmm. Rosemary was very intrigued. She's also our publisher and and truthfully our mentor. Um, We do things the way we do because Rosemary has set a great example for us that we follow. And so anyway... Um, so Dr. Thompson would give this advice unsolicited. Rosemary thought that was huge. So I had gotten a note from her as we were editing the book saying this, this wasn't you guys sort of mediating a question and answer session on behalf of the people. No, it was not. So I think that's important to say, but Dr. Thompson would leave the web for long periods of time and he would come back and tell us, um, that he was fishing. So he was out <laughs> fishing, and there were times that he showed up at our house. Um, there was a day that I was I was really upset um, in my field. There was someone that was just achieving some great things in my uh, another part of my life is is um, arts advocacy and and arts for young audiences and things. And I was just so exasperated. And he showed up at the house. We spelled his cherry tobacco in his pipe, which often alerted me mm-hmm. to the fact that he was in the room. And I said, Tanya, I think either my grandfather or Dr. Thompson is here. And she said, sure enough, it was Dr. Thompson. And he had shown up other places as well. So I think, you know, from from our experience, they can go where they would like to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the uh, Dr. Thompson uh, character from your book, Uh, Watch Out for the Hallway. Uh, Interesting. He also helped kind of mediate some of the the more negative influences, didn't he? He did. Tom, you want to talk about that with him and the children?
2: Sure. So, yeah, not only was Dr. Thompson just fun uh, and wonderful at handing out advice, which he frequently did, but he also seemed to be um, the caretaker and protector of the children's spirits that we encountered at the web. And there were times where, um, so we talk about in the book how, The energy on the first floor of the Webb Library was completely different than the second floor. So for the most part on the first floor, um, the spirits there were fun. Um, You know, it was a very light kind of energy. Uh, And you get up to the second floor and all of a sudden it's just this heavy, heavy sense of um, almost like foreboding when you, you know, step onto the landing of the second floor. So we encountered a lot of, you know, what I would call negative uh, energies up there, and oftentimes they would um, sort of interact with, in particular, one young girl that we encountered on several occasions. Her name was Rachel, and I'll let Joey talk a little bit more about her, but um, we would, you know... um, Encounter her going downstairs to be with Dr. Thompson and he would leave. Um, I, I observed him taking her and leaving the web um, during this encounter that she was having with these negative entities on the second floor.
0: Do you care to comment about Rachel, uh, Joey?
7: yeah so so this is this is kind of our button i know time is getting short so it's been weird um we wrote, we lived this and then we wrote the book and through the process of writing a book you you start to wear many hats and you get a little divorced from things so part of the feedback and the feedback has been outstanding and we're so grateful People are like, this book is really creepy. It's like, you got to read it with the lights on. And, it, it's, <laughs> and we're like, oh, really? So this morning I was reviewing um, before this, and I went upstairs to Tanya and I said, there really is some creepy stuff. So we met Rachel on the second floor, which was very odd because the second floor had a very, very negative, heavy, uh, oppressed energy. Um, most of the children stayed downstairs, especially in the children's room where there were books and there were toys and all there were things for these children. The first time we saw Rachel, um, she was playing with a ball up in the second floor, and one of our guests pointed her out. The second time we saw her, she was posing like a ballerina, and someone caught it on film, and uh, you could clearly see it. Now, I'm a super skeptic, skeptic. When it comes to things caught on film, I want to break it down. I want to analyze. I want to run it through programs, send it to colleagues. This was a little girl in a ballerina dress posing in this picture. Unfortunately, the person didn't send it to us or there were some forces that didn't allow because about a half a dozen times people captured things on their phones and said they would send them Mm -hmm. and they never did. So that was that was very, very odd. But anyway, in the interest of time, so one night we were upstairs. And we heard Rachel very distressed on the spirit box, yelling for help. And then she said, "Let's get out of here!" Like that. So we, so we followed her, and and she wound up going down the stairs. And we got there was a landing between like two sets of stairs going downstairs. As we got to the landing, we heard a male voice say, "Don't screw with her!" Like that. So Tanya, oftentimes when we had something really, really, really intense happen. We said to the guests, if you want to pursue this, come along. And typically, I was the one who would do that part. And Tanya would take some other guests. So she took guests over to the children's room, which was by and large the the calmest room. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to find Rachel. I'm walking through the first floor. We know she went downstairs. I'm monitoring the spirit box. And we hear this huge thud upstairs. What the heck is going on upstairs? We're all accounted for, we're all downstairs. I go running up the stairs. I got hackles and nausea so bad, I had to turn around and leave. Like It was my intention to go up that north hallway um, towards the kitchen, which was also a trouble spot, and see what was going on. And so that was it that night. And as you can imagine, that was very unsettling. But the next week, we heard Rachel scream through the spirit box. And a scream coming through the spirit box is, is extremely, extremely... Unsettling, so I asked if it was her, and she said yes, and then I rarely see spirits or ghosts, but that night I did, but 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 I can explain it, and I say it in the book, it was an intuitional knowing, mm-hmm. and she was surrounded by these male, angry spirits, um, and we, we were able to coax her away from them and to come back down the stairs with us. Mm -hmm. And there was an older woman up on the second floor who would sort of advocate for some of the troubled spirits. And she said she got away, is what she said through the spirit box. So we we went downstairs and we all went into the children's room again, a safe space. And Rachel went right to Dr. Thompson and he was protecting her. But then we heard a male voice um, come into the room in the presence and said, where is she? Like that. And then You know, I tried to explain, look, she's with Dr. Thompson, leave her alone, this isn't right, and he called me a rat. We heard that on the SB11, brat, like that. So so that was kind of interesting. Um, And then a couple weeks later, we were having trouble with these angry spirits and we heard Rachel and she was very upset. And so I said to them, I said, look, I said, how many of you are there? And I don't know why I asked that question, but one of them said, enough. You know, there's enough of us that we can do what we can do. So again, we heard Rachel crying um, and we heard on the spirit box, we heard the word cry. So um, that was, uh, you know, so Rachel stayed with Dr. Thompson and, um, and, and, and we didn't have any more communication from her. So we're not sure what
0: happened to her, but I think that's a heck of a ghost story on the ghost story episode. Yes. What a what a great uh, preview of the book, Watch Out for the Hallway. Uh, it's written by Tanya and Joy Medea, M-A-D-I-A. The subtitle is Our Two-Year Investigation of the Most Haunted Library in North Carolina. Um, Tanya and Joy, thank you so much for taking time from a busy weekend and from your uh, multi-level activities that you're involved in to be here as our guest today and I appreciate your work thank you so much for being here oh, thank, thank you, you for and, having that and
2: we're
7: excited to to celebrate your your anniversary 34 years that's awesome
0: achievement thank you so yeah. much and
2: congratulations
0: thank you Tony and Joey the the door is always open for a return visit okay Thank you. We yeah, let's back. keep in touch. Have a great rest of the show. Happy Halloween to you both. Happy you Halloween too. to
7: you
0: too. Bye bye. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Thanks again to Tawny and Joy Medea, our special guests. We'll be right back with Professor Paranormal Lloyd Auerbach right after this. Trouble.
1: voice of the blues in lincoln nebraska kzum lincoln and kzum hd
5: support for this week in lincoln comes from the bay the bourbon theater duffy's tavern and the zoo bar this is live music happening this week in lincoln saturday october 27th brings a halloween party to duffy's tavern starting at nine with universe contest man slaughterer bogus man and hex weaver Little Ed and the Blues Imperials return to the zoo bar at 6. And the Bourbon Theater hosts Halloween 3 at 7, with Mad Dog in the 2020s as Paramore, Salt Creek as Third Eye Blind, Better Friend as The Killers, Jocko as Rage Against the Machine, and Cruise Control as The Police. That's what's happening this week in Lincoln.
6: Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Colborn celebrating 34 years of broadcast for our show today. Happy birthday, Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. I promised some folks that I would tell my personal story on the show. And uh, I'm going to try to do that during this last segment. We had a call from a good friend of mine, Robert Pribble, who's in the hospital. And we want to send you, Robert, all the best In terms of thoughts, prayers, and good energy. And thank you so much for your call. I'm going to be reaching out to you here later on. So I will tell you my own personal story in this last segment. But first, I want you to hear from the man that everybody calls Professor Paranormal. Here's Lloyd Arbach. Hi, Lloyd. Good morning.
8: Morning, Scott.
0: Where do we find you this morning?
8: Uh, at home. <laughs> I I'm uh going to be doing a PK party spoon bending party tomorrow, but I'm a- pretty much around otherwise today and Really? Uh, no no special Halloween thing today.
0: A PK party. Spoon bending.
8: Yep. Yep. And yeah, a different kind of thing than what we did with Marty. Caden. Mhm.
0: Can can uh for the for the audience benefit, can you bend a spoon Lloyd?
8: Uh, under the right conditions, yeah. The whole idea that the, the PK party is something that was started uh, back in the late 70s, and we did a lot of at JFK University in the early 80s, is getting people in the right state of mind, and uh, then all sorts of bending happens. hmm
0: And it's not actually that somehow somebody can heat up the, the spoon so much that the molecules get soft and bend, and gosh, if that's the case, we'd all having held cutlery, we'd all have bent forks and knives, and so Yeah,
8: it's, no, it, it's not that. Actually, the heating up thing and the whole friction thing would burn our hands if that was the case.
0: Yeah. Um,
8: it, there, are, there are times, you know, people who do this, when you get people in the right state of mind, there there are spoons that are bent by pure strength, uh, and it's, you can kind of tell watching people doing it that that's happening. It's, it's because of their altered state of consciousness. It's kind of a slight altered states induction, but you end up with all sorts of interesting bends and and uh, without breaking anything, which is really interesting. Uh, I, and a lot of them are very clearly on their you know just psychokinesis.
0: No, I understand that sometimes at these spoon bending events, there are other things also that uh, that happen that can be attributed. To the gathering of the people, the, the state of mind, etc, so are, are the things happened besides the spoons being bent
8: um, the ones that i've done i haven't seen that really go on at all um, so you know the, the you know it's not just spoons we use other types of uh, often other types of metal and utensils mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. including things that would normally break if you actually physically bent them so you know I
0: I just realized that that I'm wondering if I witnessed uh, psychokinesis on an old Tom Snyder show he had Sandy Shaw and drew Pearson who wrote the book life extension talking about nutritional things that would make us healthier live longer smarter etc and Sandy Shaw had been taking a human growth hormone that would add muscle mass, she demonstrated for Tom Snyder that she took a horseshoe and she held it and she bent it. Tom Snyder grabbed that and tried to bend it. He actually put his foot in one side to try to pull up with both hands. He couldn't budge it. So Lloyd, what I did, being uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, I ran over to one of the doors where we always keep a a horseshoe up over the door for good luck, and I grabbed that. I'd been lifting weights. I thought, I'm probably stronger than Sandy Shaw. I couldn't Mm -hmm. budge that in the slightest.
8: Yeah. Yeah, that was probably psychokinesis.
0: Wow. Well, this is a ghost stories in the morning show, Lloyd, and you have probably collected a whole bunch of stories over the years. Tell us a ghost story.
8: Okay. Um, well, one story, I've got, of course, many, many stories that I can tell, but let's, let's do a, a more personal uh, story with our old friend Martin Caden, who we've talked about in the show so many times. Cool. You know, Marty died. Um, for those who don't, don't recall who he is or who he was, Martin Caden was a science and science fiction writer. Uh, who, among other things, wrote the book Cyborg, which became the basis of The Six Million Dollar Man. And he was really interested in the subject of psychokinesis and other psychic powers and was able to do PK himself and even taught other people to do it. Uh, He's heavily in my book, Mind Over Matter. But Marty, unfortunately, did get uh, misdiagnosed with thyroid cancer. Um, He was diagnosed with something else. And it turned out to be thyroid cancer that spread throughout his body. This is back in the mid-1990s. Uh, he did, thanks to sheer mental bullheadedness, I think, <laughs> keep himself around for a couple of years longer than the Mayo Clinic gave him. They only gave him eight weeks to live when he first found out. And uh, he lasted for a couple of years la- longer. So he died in March of 1997. And Marty and I had kidded around quite a bit, and he always talked about coming back to haunt me. Mm
3: -hmm. So,
8: given that most people who have experiences with friends and loved ones and relatives as ghosts happens within the first one to two days, I really—I mean, I fully expected something from Marty the first couple of days after he died. And so, this goes to show that suggestion does not always work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no matter what the skeptics say. A week and a half after he died, I was driving, this is on a weekday morning, um, to the Oakland airport from my home here in the Bay Area. It was early in the morning. It was, you know, not, the traffic wasn't bad at that time. Uh, it was 7 o'clock in the morning, actually. And I had a car that was literally uh, less than three months old at that point and still had the new car smell to some extent. And I'm driving my car, and all of a sudden, my car fills up with the smell of cigar smoke. Oh, yeah. No, not smoke itself. And it was identified to me and to my mind, it was identifiably Martin Caden's cigar, because he smoked these particularly stinky cigars <laughs> I think you might remember that, too, Scott. <laughs> yes. So... I also felt kind of felt a presence sitting next to me in the car, uh, in the passenger seat. And I looked over. There's nobody there. But I really felt a very strong presence. And I, I somehow knew it was Marty. So I said my goodbyes. You know, I'm talking. I have said my goodbyes. And then it went away. So that's 7 o'clock in the morning, Pacific time. I flew up to Portland. As soon as I got to Portland, actually at the Portland airport, I picked up the phone and called a friend of... Martins, by the name of Bob Button, who was a pilot friend who I had met a number of times on my visits to Marty in Florida. And before I could open my, mo- my mouth, I just I said, hi, Bob, it's Lloyd. And that's all I got out when Bob said, Lloyd, you must be psychic. <laughs> and of course, I said, yes, of course I am. Because that's what we do. Uh, he, I said, why do you say that, Bob? He said, well, you're not going to believe this. Or maybe you will, but I was flying my Cessna this morning, and at about about uh, ten after ten, now he was flying his his flight his plane in New Jersey, so at ten after ten, Eastern time, which is seven ten Pacific time, he said my cockpit filled up with the smell of cigar smoke. It was definitely Caden's cigar smoke. <laughs> he said, "I swear he was sitting next to me," and he said. I said my goodbyes, I, I talked to him, I didn't hear anything, but then it went away. He said, "But that's not the best part." I said, "What's the best part?" He said, the best part is, I immediately called a buddy of ours down in Florida, a guy named John Tracy, who's a, another pilot, and apparently at 10:20, John Tracy had the same experience. Well. Wow. So after that, Bob called me back a couple weeks later to tell me that he had spoken to a number of other pilot friends of Martin's who, either in a car when they were alone or in their planes when they were alone, they had the exact same experience, either both before my experience and after. So he he was kind of bopping around. So in our conversation, I said to Bob, so, you know, it's been a week and a half, Bob. Why did it take him so long? And he said, "Well, he knew people all over the world. Maybe we were just lower down on the list."
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a fabulous, what a fabulous story, Lloyd! Uh, I, uh, as Lloyd would agree. You know, we sometimes are privileged to meet people that are unique, uh, colorful characters. And Martin Caden was certainly that. I realized, Lloyd, that after I had met him, in fact, I told Martin this: as a kid. I'd read, read a book about P-47 Thunderbolt, a special yeah. fighter plane that was just amazing in its ability to withstand punishment and still fly. And just an incredible feat of engineering. Uh, and when I met Martin Keaton, there was a little tickle on the back of my mind and I went back to my library and looked and there was the book that I'd read as a kid By Martin Caden.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I had read uh, his cyborg books and a number of other science fiction books he'd he'd, he'd, uh, written. I read the book Marooned, which he wrote, Mm -hmm. which became an uh, Academy Award-winning film with Gregory Peck in the 60s. I didn't realize that my dad had known him 30 years before. I'll be darned. um, you know this is he was a pretty unusual guy. I came home from teaching a class, a parapsychology class. This is probably um, three or four weeks before the conference that you held where I met Marty. Mm-hmm. And I turned on my TV set, which I often did. This is late at night, I mean, because we taught these night classes. And I'm flipping channels. as I'm flipping channels, I hear the name Martin Caden, and I knew he was going to be there, and I was interested to meet a science fiction writer. I like science fiction, uh, especially somebody who I'd read. But I hear the name Martin Caden, and I stopped on that channel, and it was the Stunt Masters episode, where he got the world record for taking the number of the, the most number of people walking on the wing of a plane on that Ju fifty two oh, bomber. Oh jeez! So you know, I, I happen to mention that to my dad um, when I called him before I was going out to the conference, and my father worked for NBC. Uh, until 1980, and in his early days, he worked for NBC News, and he worked on the Mercury and Gemini space shots. Wow. So I had mentioned to my dad that I was meeting Martin Caden, and uh, my dad said, oh, I knew him. I said, what? <laughs> said, Marty was uh, working with NASA and worked with Metromedia TV back in the Mercury and Gemini days which, of course, we found out later on he was heavily involved with NASA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also got to talk to Roy Neal, who was uh, working with my dad on the Rose Bowl broadcasts. Uh, Roy was the science editor for NBC and one of the folks who covered the Mercury and Gemini shots for NBC on camera, who, got, who knew Marty re- really well. So when I met Marty and I mentioned I, I was able to steer the conversation after uh, that first night <laughs> to talking about NASA stories and then I said, Marty, you knew my dad. And he just looked at me, and he said, oh, my God, not that hour back. And we kind of bonded at that moment.
0: I'll be darned. This is Lloyd Arbach, and Lloyd is taught at the collegiate level, parapsychology. Uh, he gives classes through the Rhine Research Center. Uh, if you go to rhineeducationcenter.org, that class will pop right up there. And uh, do you also have another class, Lloyd, taking place shortly?
8: Well, right now we're, we're into the field investigations class. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about what's going to be next. So uh, the next class probably won't start until February.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, Lloyd is spelled L-O-Y-D. Auerbach A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. Uh, tell me about the uh, ocean liner, the Queen. Is it the Queen Mary?
8: Yeah, I, I've only the Queen Mary is um, an interesting ship. I've only been there once uh, myself, actually a couple times myself. Once for uh, a conference, so I got a chance to really look into it a little bit. Um, you know, that ship actually had an accident, hit another ship back uh, in its days crossing the ocean uh, during World War II, and several people did die on that in that crash. So one of the things that is legitimately reported. Uh, over the years, is in the bow of the ship, people have heard screams and, uh, you know, just basically kind of the, the sounds of the accident. We'd call that a haunting. We'd call that an imprint that's there. There's also, according to uh, the stories there, but also according to my friends, my colleagues, who investigated the Queen Mary, there's also a little girl's ghost in the pool area. And then there's something going on, somebody hanging out in the uh, on the upper deck in the kind of restaurant bar area as well. Uh, I was there for, uh, an interview. They were doing, uh, some segments for, uh, I think it was like at the extras on a, on the, re- the video release, the DVD release of a horror film called ghost ship. So I was there, there was a psychic there as well. And we were doing these interviews, just general interviews about haunted ships. And while I was sitting there, uh, they were having problems, serious problems, with the audio and a little bit of the video. Just problems that shouldn't be happening, actually. It's kind of like what Marty would say, it shouldn't be happening, but it was. Uh, and I talked to the psychic afterwards, and he said, yeah, there's, there's definitely somebody here. He had he didn't have any problems when he was shooting, but it was really interesting because there were similar problems that we had had when shooting at a couple of different haunted locations over the years.
0: Interesting, I, I gave a talk uh, Thursday to a group of people, and we had a malfunction of the um, the audio system and now I think back and I wonder you know just to what extent or degree that uh, that was attributable to the human side of things. Lloyd, do you have a final story or anything to share with us before we say goodbye?:
8: you know I, c- I can share um, a short a real short story that was told to me. Which I love uh-huh. and this was told to me I back in the 80's I was doing quite a bit of TV because of Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and one of the local TV hosts didn't say a word on air but at the end of the show he went on to actually do uh, national television his name was Patrick Van Horn At the end of the show he, he pulls me aside and says, okay, I got to tell you my ghost story. I grew up in a haunted farmhouse in the Midwest and We didn't really believe so much that it was was haunted, except that every night around 11 o'clock, if you were upstairs in your room, you could hear footsteps walking back, uh, kind of pacing the hallway right outside your bedroom. So I said, well, you know, I asked him, well, did you look outside? He said, yeah, we always looked out there and there's nobody there. He said, well, one night when I was 16, I decided I'm going to try to figure out where the footsteps go. So... He left a light on in the hallway, which is not uncommon. You know, just the thing to know, of course, is that this doesn't necessarily happen in the dark. Mm -hmm. He waited until he heard the footsteps. He heard the footsteps moving away from his room, past his room and away from his room. He peeks out. There's nobody there. He steps out into the hallway. He still hears the footsteps. He starts walking towards the footsteps. The footsteps, for the very first time, changed their pattern. They started moving faster. Mm Somebody is walking very fast now. And the footsteps were heading towards the stairs going downstairs. So Patrick walks after the footsteps. They go a little faster. He hears them running down the stairs. He runs down the stairs. He hears, He's not seeing anything at this point. He hears the footsteps, and there's lights on downstairs. He hears the footsteps run off the stairs towards the living room. He starts heading that way. He hears the footsteps going into the living room. He hears a scuffling sound and a thud turned the light on in the living room, the edge of the carpet because uh, they had a, like a throw rug the edge of the rug is bunched up he said, I swear I heard the sound of somebody getting up and brushing himself off, the footsteps ran for the front door, the front door didn't open or close or anything but the footsteps ran for the front door and we never saw heard the footsteps ever again. Wow So I, you know, I always kiddingly tell people one way to get rid of ghosts is to embarrass them out of the house
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh that's great <laughs> And thanks for sharing the, the Martin Caden story, Lloyd. Um, as you sure. know, that we both had uh, the pleasure of meeting Martin, and uh, thank you so much. Lloyd, I appreciate your work. Thank you for what you've brought to the radio show over the years. Uh, as we celebrate 34 years of broadcast, I want to reach out and also personally thank you. Well, thank you, Scott. Okay, my friend. We will talk to you probably not November, but December.
8: Yep, yep. Happy Halloween to everybody.
0: Okay. Talk to you soon, Lloyd. Bye-bye. Lloyd Arbach, you'll find him on Facebook, L-O-Y-D. Arbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. He's got that spoon-bending party tomorrow. Sounds like a lot of fun. As we wind down, here is my story that I promised to tell. In 2007, my kids and I planned a trip to Estes Park, Colorado, On the night before we left, my daughter Melissa had a premonitory dream that we were going to have a car accident. The morning of our trip, that next morning, we talked over breakfast about even delaying the trip. And Melissa said, I feel like it's a warning, a caution, and just we can can still go, but let's be vigilant and watchful. So we proceed on our trip. We get to the Nebraska-Colorado line, on our way out to Estes Park, and suddenly the weather changes. It turns totally dark, and we count up to six tornadoes that we see. At one time, we had three in sight at once. That was the weather we were driving into. Darkest mid-afternoon, early afternoon that I've ever seen in my life. Totally pitch black. Our car began to malfunction outside of Sterling, And eventually, right outside of Fort Collins on the city limits, on a day that was about 102 degrees, we blew the car engine. So we didn't have a car accident, but we, less than 12 hours later after a dream, we blew the car engine. We rented the car. We got to Estes Park. It was our fourth night. We had not been doing any tourist stuff, or excuse me, any uh, ghost-busting, seance, rituals, we were tourists and having a lot of fun, finally able to put that car misset behind us, relax and enjoy Estes Park and the Rocky Mountain National Forest. So the fourth night's about 10 o'clock at night, and my son Asher and I are in the living room. We're reading books. My daughter's down the rear hallway, and um, she's in one of the bedrooms reading a magazine, and she's got earbuds in listening to music. I look up from my book, slightly turn my head to engage my son in conversation, and ladies and gentlemen, I see a man walking down the hallway towards us. I'm not thinking ghost or apparition. I'm thinking this is a bad guy. We have an intruder in our cabin. He was about 6'2", tall, lanky in build, black hair, black beard, red plaid flannel shirt, blue jeans and chukka boots on his feet. He was looking down intently at the floor as I was looking at him. He took two or three steps and then took a hard left and went into the bathroom. That's the only entrance or exit out of that bathroom. There is no window. There's no other way to get out of the bathroom. I'm on my feet immediately yelling down the hallway to make sure my daughter's okay and safe because he had been walking from her room. She calls back and says, Dad, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, my son is starting to turn around because this was happening behind him. He didn't see the man and he says, Dad, what do you, what's going on? I said, we've got somebody in the cabin. We've got an intruder. So I walk quickly to that door of the bathroom. I get myself into a fighting stance. Um, I've taken some martial arts, and I know how to defend myself, so I took a step into that doorway, fully expecting this guy to be right there, because he can't go anyplace else. Right? He looked as real as, as you and I looked to each other. I took the step into the doorway. There's nobody there. I walked over to the shower curtain, and I got my right fist cocked back to punch. I ripped open the shower curtain. There's nobody in the shower. So to satisfy myself intellectually, I got down on my hands and knees, and I tried to peer up underneath the sink in that little place where we keep cleaning supplies (laughs) because I thought this guy somehow was a contortionist. Did he crawl under or inside the wall somehow? And there was nobody there. So at that point, and only at that point, am I aware that I have just seen a full-bodied apparition. In 2007, I became, as I tell people, a true believer. Uh, I had interviewed many, many people since 1984 who's, uh, who have seen ghosts. I've talked to dozens of people that have authored books and collected many, many stories but nothing beats personal experience. It was solved and answered for me in 2007. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, ghosts are a real phenomenon. I get back to Lincoln and talked to a friend of mine and said, did you set me up because you own the cabin? You're out there for about nine months out of the year. And he said, no, I've never experienced anything out there, but two of their families have reported something weird happening. That does it for our ghost stories in the morning show. Jim Shorney, thank you as always for being here. This was a lot of fun. Oh, wasn't it? It was yeah. a blast. Yeah, great stories from everyone. And Jim, again, in our 34th anniversary show, I want to thank you for all the years that you've given the help and expertise. You've been on mic with us, and thank you so much. It's, it's, it's great to be here. And we send our best to Colleen. Uh, she's out there doing things and our friend Robert Pribble, who's in the hospital. God bless you. I'll talk to you folks live next week from Laughlin, Nevada. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah. The annual show. Stay tuned for Mesoterra with our friend Victor. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Colborn, and until next week, Walk in Beauty.